Welcome to the Next Gen Marketing Podcast, where we feature top execs and influencers blazing new trails in consumer engagement, content strategy, digital media, and brand design. And now, here's your host, Andre Najjar. Hi, everyone. I am very excited to introduce our next guest, Dan Sanborn, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Wheelhouse Entertainment Group and also President of Wheelhouse's Labs Division, which connects brands with entertainment. You may have heard of Wheelhouse recently in the news. They just announced their highly anticipated production of the Hype Life reality show with TikTok's famed Hype House. Um, and also, they just signed a 360-degree deal with digital juggernaut Nikita Dragon. In this episode, Dan and I chat quite a bit about the power of gut and intuition in cultural marketing and how the rapid pace of the world is moving so quickly that traditional research models are becoming outdated. With that said, please enjoy the episode. Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I have to admit, I'm slightly intimidated having listened to some of your other guests and having read about your background and your own agency. I uh, I feel inferior at the start, but I'm going to do my best for sure. Oh my gosh. I thought you had an amazing background. I'm so excited to learn more about it. You know, it's funny. I, um, I work quite a bit with PepsiCo. They're one of my clients and you guys always come up wheelhouse as innovators in the space, I work with um, a fellow uh, colleague from William Morris Endeavor, Robert Candle, and he's always talking about Wheelhouse. And so I'd love to kick off today's episode and just learn more about you and Wheelhouse and all the different ventures you guys are working on. Sure. I um, it, it, First off, I appreciate the compliment. It's good to hear that after you know two years, despite a, a global pandemic, that people are actually here. <laughs> people are actually hearing about us. I sometimes wonder if it's the name uh, that's because of how catchy it is, but uh, but it is good to hear. And it is it is an innovative company. I think in its simplest form, it's really three things, you know, under one roof of the house. It's studio and talent, mm-hmm. the house entertainment. We make, create scripted, unscripted shows across TV, film, um, streamers, obviously, and digital. It's brands and marketing through Wheelhouse Labs, which is which is what I have the uh, privilege to look after. And then it's investment in early stage and mid stage brands through Wheelhouse Partners, and typically brands that we believe would benefit from the types of shows that we're creating or content we're creating and the type of you know marketing uh, that we do. Because because my background really comes from this whole space of non traditional marketing and really figuring out how to grow brands that may not have typical investment models like you would see, you know, from a a Pepsi, for instance, uh, and how do you find ways to accelerate and grow them? And it's the combination sort of of all those verticals uh, within Wheelhouse that I do think make us a fairly innovative and and unique business. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, I do feel like that 360 model and the, and the investment uh, model that you guys are pioneering is really what sets you apart and I'd love to learn more about the background of that. Like, who are the founders of the company? Like, what was sort of the initial mission and goal? You said it's only a couple years old. So can you give us some information on sort of how it started? Sure. Um, our founder is a gentleman by the name of, of Brent Montgomery. 
Uh, and obviously, Jimmy Kimmel came in as an early partner and founder of, of the business as well. And so you have two individuals in their own right that I think have, have broken a lot of ground throughout their career. Um, but Brent, most interestingly, started off in the uh, unscripted space, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he would tell you it was by definition uh, bootstrapping. And I think he may have sold a pile of baseball cards to buy his first camera. But but in, in all sincerity, he formed a company called Left Field Productions. And, and during mm-hmm. that time, uh, among probably a lot of um, attempts, found a literal gold mine in the show Pawn Stars. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he came ap- across the gold silver uh, pawn shop out in Las Vegas uh, and found two great personalities to really create this show and, and created a juggernaut, a reality TV um, juggernaut in Pawn Stars. And I think during that process, recognize this whole power of entertainment as marketing, right? You had literally a, a, a mom and pop um, pawn store in Vegas that overnight with this show became a tourist destination uh, and, and, a, and a hit, um, which then turned that business into a juggernaut uh, and turned the, the stars of the show into household names. And I think in that moment, mm-hmm. Brent realized in a world of fragmentation, um, and you look at the success of Chip and Joanna Gaines and obviously all Bethany Franklin, these people that have gone on through their shows to create these platforms for business, recognize the world of what if you created uh, entertainment as marketing in this sense. And so he eventually sold his company, Left Field Productions, to ITV uh, and for a period of time was CEO of ITV uh, North America. And he really wanted to put this thesis to the test of how could you together with content really drive and accelerate brands. And I think this was in the early days when he first started dreaming this up of this whole notion of content to commerce. And so it was out of that, uh, that about two and a half, three years ago, he stepped out uh, to form Wheelhouse. And we, what, what I think is really unique, you know, when you look at Wheelhouse versus maybe other entertainment companies, and we certainly, you know, we, we are envious and in our ambition, look at Disney as sort of a gold standard mm-hmm. for, for the model that we're embarking on. But what mm-hmm. he did is he wanted to bring together people from different walks of life uh, to come inside this company, sort of subject matter, um, experts within each vertical to help really bring this model and that vision um, to life. And so I, I'm fortunate because beyond even Brent's wild brain, and the wild creativity of someone like Jimmy Kimmel and, and Kevin Hart and some of the others that we get to do business with. I also have really great professionals around me, you know, from all walks of life. Uh, Scott Lonker, uh, who's president of Kimmelot, you know, was a, was a, a highly recognized TV agent um, from CAA. I now get to tap into to his mm-hmm. knowledge. Eric Wattenberg, former CAA TV agent comes in here. I now get to learn from that. We just brought on our chief uh, investment officer from Wheelhouse Partners, a woman named Ann Berry, who was at mm-hmm. Cornell Capital and prior to that Goldman Sachs. For me to get to work with all that, just when you think of the diversity of thought and experience under one roof, combined with where the world is from a, from a content, commerce, and business perspective, it's a pretty wild uh, recipe, I think, for some breakthrough opportunities for sure. Yeah, tell me a little bit about, I mean, I think you're such an interesting bridge and in that a lot of your background is from Diageo and now you're the president of Labs. So tell me a bit about, I love how you said content to commerce 
and kind of like this language around ventures, which, you know, is a much deeper way of looking at entertainment. Like in the past, it was like, okay, you know, let's make a movie or a TV series and let's plug in advertisers. But it sounds like you guys are going a little bit deeper. So tell me a bit more about that. You know, it's funny. Uh, by the way, I get the shakes when I hear words like president. I, you know, I've never, <laughs> I've never been interested in titles. Um, and, and I always found them to be kind of trappings of conventional thinking or markers of, of age or success. So I, whenever I hear it, I'm like, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, you know, by all accounts, I have no formal or classical training in marketing, by the way. My, my background beyond Diageo is actually in politics. I was a communications, oh. communications director and press secretary, uh, and I worked in a public affairs um, company for a very long time. But what you recognize from experience like that is politics, by and large, is the marketing of ideas, mm-hmm. um, right, and the marketing of concepts. But, but the methods in which you do it are around coalition building, right? So partnership marketing, strategic alliances, um, non-traditional communications that might have been historically public relations and media relations. You know, now your ability to develop effective social media strategy. So that bridged me into, into my career at Diageo, as you mentioned, which really got me schooled in this world of non-traditional marketing because beverage alcohol being a highly mm-hmm. regulated business could not market uh, in the same way that you could traditional brands for a period of time, you couldn't advertise on television, you couldn't sponsor uh, sports leagues. And so for me, in that environment, it became uh, a, a exercise in how do you find different ways to engage consumers? And, and out of that, I had the good fortune of, of building what, what became known as the culture and partnerships team. And in that, it was everything from talent partnerships to branded entertainment to strategic uh, alliances, you know, matching brands with shared equity. Think Johnny Walker plus Game of Thrones making mm-hmm. the White Walker. But behind all of those things that we did, it was around how do you leverage content to drive interest, intrigue, and ultimately purchase um, of a product. And I think that training ground proved really valuable as I thought about my move, you know, into into wheelhouse because to your point, it really is a world that's bringing brands, investment, and entertainment together. And, and a core part of my responsibility, whether it's our, one of our investment brands like Hydro, a connected fitness rowing machine, work with a great founder named Bruce Smith and CMO um, uh, Nancy Smith. And how do we, through the content or influencers that we're partnered with, get people interested, curious, and ultimately wanting to purchase that rowing machine. And so as you, as you think about diving deeper into it, it really is understanding what interests people. Um, we used to come from a world where it was very much about pushing your message or pushing uh, something you know, in front of people. And now it's about how do you put things in front of people that are highly entertaining? Um, and in doing so, um, driving hopefully a response or an action out of them. And I think that sort of at the wheelhouse and wheelhouse labs level, that's really core to, to, to what we're trying to do is find compelling and interesting ways um, to delight people. And that might be a product or it might be a piece of entertainment, but at our core, it's really around finding ways to excite and, and energize audiences. Yeah, you know, I I love that you keep bringing up the word culture and that that was part of your role at Diageo. And now at wheelhouse labs because i think 
the best brands either come from cultural movements or create cultural movements. And on the talent side, I think it's really interesting what you guys just announced with Nikita Dragon. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about that deal because it's very different than what's been done in the past. It's not a traditional like agent manager talent relationship. It's like kind of a 360 deal. It sounds like. Yeah. And, 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 it, and, it, and it's, it's very exciting because I think to the, to the conversation that we were just having around content um, during, during the pandemic, um, you know, a lot of businesses had to pivot um, and it, it's become, it's become a cliche term in a way, but it, but it is true as we looked at, we knew we always wanted to create, uh, a digital and audio practice within the business. Mm-hmm. We knew mm-hmm. that talent, whether it come from TikTok or Instagram, is is coming from all different places than the historical mainstream media, right? And so it was always in our plan to build out a digital and audio business. And during the pandemic, where we began to get really focused on the things that were going to drive business when we came out of it, we decided to accelerate that process. And we, we formed Wheelhouse DNA, uh, which is wheelhouse digital and audio. And, and, and on the audio side, we have scratch audio house, which is really around building out podcasts. Um, obviously there's what 90 million podcast listeners in the United States. We're here on one right now. Um, we believe audio is going to be a, continue to be a, a, a huge platform. And we wanted to make sure we had a position in that as content creators. And then in addition to that, we built additive, uh, which is our talent management side, but really focused, on this emerging and breaking um, digital talent. Because when you look at the content creation, whether it's coming out of YouTube, whether it's coming out of Instagram, that's my kids. I have four kids. They don't even turn on really traditional mm-hmm. television anymore. They're, they're watching these platforms. And so we were both privileged and lucky um, to get to meet uh, Nikita, who is a force of nature, um, mm-hmm. obviously on so many levels beyond content, just in, 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 in the world and culture in general. And so we we're lucky to get in with her and it's a 360 deals you alluded to really around being her creative and production partner across all of her owned, um, content, whether it be YouTube podcasts, um, and Instagram and really figuring out, um, ways to, to help her continue to drive her creative platform. Um, really figure out new ways, you know, to work on new shows and original IP, uh, working on one uh, called uh, Nikita Goes to Work, you know, which is effectively her, ver- <laughs> her version of The Simple Life. And so, yeah, it is. It is. A I love it. Yeah. And, and I think, look, she's a creative force. Um, right. But I think combining that, her instincts with some of the instincts of like my partner, Ed Simpson, who, who looks after Wheelhouse DNA. And, and an understanding of, of long form content and mid form content and production, you know, values. And I think that combination and that power inside the wheelhouse ecosystem together with Nikita is, is really breakthrough. Um, and so, yeah, we were, we were psyched about that deal for sure. I am so excited by that one. I mean, I used to be over at full screen and I know the power of like the LGBTQ plus creators and like Nikita, to your point is a force of nature and She's so dynamic and so prime for consumer products deals and things like that. I was actually going to ask you, you know, little fun fact, Lauren Conrad's uh, business does, you know, over $3 billion annually at Kohl's, you know, Kathy Ireland worldwide does about 2.6 billion. Like, do you guys have intentions of taking some of these talents? Like when you talk about ventures, like more heavily into consumer products? 
Yeah, I mean, one one of one of the great things that I was able to be a part of at Diageo was this idea of creating uh, brands and partnering with with talent. I had the privilege of working on Ciroc Vodka alongside Sean Combs, who himself is a force of nature uh, mm-hmm. for a number of years. Had the privilege of being in the business, you know, when they acquired Casamigos and spent many of my days um, with my good friends in Diageo's innovation group, dreaming up these types of scenarios. And so I, I think that combination of brands and talent is going to continue uh, in a big way. And that's a huge part of Wheelhouse Thesis is how do we help if, if talent has aspirations for building out a brand of their own, um, we have the experience and capabilities be beyond me in the building to do that. So, so unequivocally, um, 100%, we want to be able to help people realize uh, their ambitions uh, from not only a content perspective, from a, from a business perspective. I think I think the most important part of that, because you do see a lot of those businesses happening. And I, and I think, and Nikita's already done and is working on her own line in the cosmetic space. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important thing is, is authenticity. Uh, and you hear that word a lot, but really understanding what the white space is and the consumer need state is, right? I think, I think consumers have become so savvy to being marketed at. Um, mm-hmm. that the importance of bringing something of value into that equation is going to be huge. It needs to make sense. Like I always look at, at Beats um, and with Dr. Dre, and I, I always think it's such an amazing example of when things are done right, because of course Dr. Dre is going to know what great sound is, right? And you think about you know him plus great technology equaling a great audio experience, makes a ton of sense. And so mm. I think as we think about the future of CPG brands together with talent, our vision and aspiration is to make those types of fits that people just say, of course, um, in so-and-so would be coming out with a product in that space. Of course, Nikita would be doing, you know, something in the cosmetic space. So yeah, long answer to your question, but 100%, um, that is a huge part of what we're going to do. And the beauty for, for wheelhouses. We not only come with a content capability with world-class production services, then a marketing and brand building capability mm-hmm. with Wheelhouse Labs. To your point, we also have a capitalization opportunity you know, through our investment arm and Wheelhouse Partners. So I think all of those things combined um, make it a no-brainer for us to think about products and services together with the talent we work with. Absolutely. You know, jumping back to audio, I think it's really, really interesting that that is such a big part of one of your divisions. And I want to ask you, like, obviously, I'm a podcast aficionado. (laughs) I have one. But like, why do you think audio has become this like force of nature? Like even Twitter, you know, is talking about introducing an audio platform. Like, why audio now? It's a a great question. I mean, I don't think anyone should be that surprised because when you think about it, it's not like radio suddenly disappeared. I mean, that medium is a, it's, it's one of the least invasive mediums around when you think yeah. about it. Right. And so I, I do think people have a natural sort of intrinsic relationship with audio experiences. And I think that, that, that is why what's changed similar to what you saw from linear television into YouTube, where kind of the whole notion of, 
time around program, right? It became determined by the viewer instead of the network, right? I think the same is now in audio and the reason why these different variations of it have exploded because it allows people, one, to be very selective in the things Mm -hmm. they choose to listen to, but then also the time at which they listen to it. And so I think think that combined with the sort of nature, passive nature of, of audio, is why you're seeing it do so well. But but like what we saw in television with Mad Men, when you started seeing these really great um, uh, shows come to the small screen, I think that's also what you're seeing in, in audio with the diversity of content that's mm-hmm. coming out. It's getting better. It's speaking to more interest and more niche interests. You know, I, I'm into sports card training or trading. I can go now listen to a podcast on sports cards. There, so, so I think that all those elements combined are why it's such a compelling uh, part of the marketplace right now. And we'll continue Absolutely. to be. I think so, too. Absolutely. I wanted to shift gears a bit and talk more about your work with brands and talk about some tips for brands and marketers in the entertainment space and the influencer space. And I wanted to kick off with the question of the importance of influencer. Like, tell me a bit about how you see entertainment now, you know, with or without influencer. I just love it. it, You know, it's constantly evolving. We just had this year of COVID where production essentially halted in a lot of respects, but yet people were glued to their digital devices. I mean, you look at Netflix's, you know, explosion in subscriptions. Like, where is entertainment now? Where is it going? And how can brands effectively play? You know, I think the, the, the first thing that's just insane when you think about it is if we were having this uh, conversation 12 months ago, would you have known what Clubhouse is? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I, it's, and, 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 and you think about that and you think, you think about 12 months ago and would, you know, would you have thought you would have seen a live concert happen inside a video game? environment even though that might have been being planned for a long period of time Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have thought of it would i've been thinking that i would see some of my favorite bands doing killer live stream concerts on twitch Mm -hmm. wouldn't have ever thought about it so i well you might have thought about it but not in the the way and speed that we've seen it over the last 12 months and so i think the state of entertainment is better and stronger in many ways than it's ever been because the, this this recent experience has forced just insane innovation in it. Um, and, and I think the types of entertainment um, that we're going to see is only starting, uh, you know, whether it be across gaming, whether it be like the future of Twitch and what's going to happen uh, in that environment. I don't even think we can begin to understand. And so I just think brands um, now need to be on the tip of their toes uh, and sort of front-footed on what's going to happen in an emerging culture. I think a lot of brands, you know, and you and you say it on influencer. Like I, I think a lot of the tactics um, have gotten a little bit tired in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm most curious about what is the innovation for brands in the world of entertainment and the world of influencer, you know, going to look like. And not to age myself, when when I started you know, in the game in the, in the uh, early mid two thousands, you know, commercial endorsement deals Mm. were all the rage became very boring, became very transient, very transactional. And suddenly you saw the emergence of real meaningful ownership stakes and partnerships with brands and talent. I think with all the change 
that has come on is what is the innovation that brands are going to deploy to become part of these new environments? What is a brand's Twitch strategy? Um, what is the innovation leapfrog opportunity with how you work with an influencer? It might be creating new forms of product or might it be creating new mediums as well uh, and how you work together. So I, I think my advice to brands right now would be number one, the same rules and principles apply. Do not chase cool. Do not chase culture. Be really clear on what your brand purpose is, what your role in culture is, what utility or value you add. Understand the world of entertainment and all the ecosystems that I just talked about. And then what's the best, most interesting, most exhilarating, most exciting way for you to show up? It may be content. It may be through a partnership with influencer. It might be owning something versus renting or just throwing a check like you would through your advertising and promotional money. And so I think that type of innovation from brands is going to be critical. Let me ask you a question, you know, knowing that you and I have a similar background in CPG, like, and knowing the pace of development and innovation with these large CPG companies where, you know, just to give the audience an average timeline, it might take, you know, up to three to six months to even do consumer research. Then, you know, strategy development could be another six to 12 months. Then, you know, you kick in product innovation. Like how can we help brands be more nimble? Cause I think what you're highlighting, that's really important. And I love that term that you use front footed. Mm -hmm. Like how can big brands be more front footed? Because I think they're going to have to become more nimble. Uh, I mean, for sure. And they've had to be more nimble, certainly in the last, you know, five years. Uh, and you want to go even further back last 10 years in understanding digital innovation. I, I think the first thing is to your to you just nailed it on the point of like traditional consumer research. I think, you know, data and analytics is a buzzword nowadays, but I think the ability to truly understand what is moving and motivating and inspire audiences is going to be more important, you know, than it ever was. And, mm -hmm. and so I think a, a company and brand's ability to understand social conversations, what's going on in the digital ecosystem, and then being able to quickly apply insights to move on that is going to be right. more important, more important right. than it's ever been. I don't know that the research models used by brands has quite fully caught up yet with their, <laughs> with their, with their route to market and innovation um, development. I, I don't. And, and I think that's something that's going to be so critical as you go forward. But the other thing that I, that I say is really important is, you know, everyone talks in marketing about art and science and, and, and fundamentally, I believe this, you know, sort of at wheelhouse, the data is only as good as the people reading it. Right. And understanding it and being able to extrapolate a really compelling insight to go after. And it's only as good as what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest issue for brands, big, midsize, is the is the willingness to move quickly against the key insight. And, and then, the, and then the, the, the last the last and final point on that of what you said about nimbleness and moving is curiosity. I just I think that people get very comfortable with the playbook. The playbook used to be your TV plan, your radio plan. Your, I'm sure you hear this from every person that sits on your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. People got very comfortable. I think now you're seeing brands get a little bit comfortable with their media plan, which now involves digital, thankfully, and, and, and YouTube strategy and an Instagram strategy. But 
they've gotten very comfortable. Okay, what's my influencer, my micro influencer, my nano influencer, my, you know, uh, macro influencer strategy. And I think in that playbook, they've gotten a little bit lazy on some of the tactics. So how are you leapfrogging those tactics? So that's that would be the second part to answer your question. You know, it's so interesting that you bring up that word curiosity. I've often thought, so I started off my career in the fashion industry, which is like very gut based. Like you'll have these like leaders that just like, feel the zeitgeist of culture and they develop product without even a research methodology. And I feel like we're entering that phase in general, you know, maybe it's not to the point where you go into a full global product launch without research, but rather than waiting so long to test products, it's like one, I think you start hiring employees that understand the zeitgeist of culture you know, and that that have a seat at the table and represent multiple consumer bases, diversity, gender diversity, you know, everything like that. And then you also allow yourself the opportunity to test in smaller ways, but actually like jump in, you know, like, like I find that what happens now is it takes on average three years for a product to get to market. But if you're dealing with like a cosmetic highlighter, you know, the color is going to have changed by the time you launch that product. So I, I just, I'd love to get your take. I love that you use these words, curiosity. And like, you know, one thing I, I noticed when I moved to LA and I started being more in the West Coast companies is they use their gut a little bit more. And, and I'm sensing that you're kind of like that too. And I, I'd love for you to speak a little bit on that because I think it's important. Hey man, you know, um, you, you're touching a point that it, it's, it's, you, you very quickly, uh, I've seen what motivates me. I mean, I am terrible at math with the exception of counting, you know, money. Um, and because that was sort of a necessity of life. Right. And, and so I've, you know, spreadsheets, I, I love data and research, but I like the, the summary of it and an understanding because to your point, I, 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 I think gut and instinct is critically mm-hmm. important. And so is data but it can't be, it can't paralyze you into moving. And so I think gut is hugely, hugely underrated um, when it comes to decisions in marketing and business in general. I really do. And I think to your point on, on how people hire and, and cultural diversity, you know, I always say some of the best soups got a lot of different ingredients and flavors in it. Right. And, and I think to be a really effective business and marketer, this day and age, you've got to have a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different people with the fingers on the pulse that understand what's happening and then have the fearlessness and gut instinct to move after those opportunities when you see them. And, and I think to, what happens for most people in traditional businesses and large CPGs, fear motivates a lot. Like nobody yeah. wants to be the, the, the person that failed on an idea. And so I think it's also important for businesses to create, and I think they're getting better at this, to create safe havens and environments for people to make mistakes. Mm Because sometimes things are just not going to work. But I will tell you, I find many times and in many cases, and my partner, Brent Montgomery, Jimmy, everyone, that some of the greatest decisions when it comes to content are typically based from the gut. Um, So I think it's it's a huge skill set that's highly underrated um, in, in the world of business, because yep. it's very easy to hide behind data. Uh, it's very hard to hide behind gut. 
you know, you also use a word, you also use a word that I really liked, you know, we were talking with uh, more of a philosopher that we were interviewing about how everything is moving so fast that we're leaving the age of information and moving into the age of intuition, because information can't keep up with the pace of what's happening. And I thought that when he used that word intuition, it reminded me of that, how we need to not be scared to rely on our intuition, just maybe decrease the risk by decreasing the investment, right? Like you can test things out before you put a billion dollars behind them. And I think that that's going to be really key. Yeah. It's so it's such a great, it's such a great point. And what, what I have always been blessed with is having great people around me on the team with diversity of opinion, diversity of experience and perspective so that your in your intuition and gut instinct can be supported by people that might compensate for some of your other weaknesses. So if I'm not great at spreadsheet and digging into certain points of data, you better believe I'm going to have someone next to me that can say, Hey, Dan, your intuition or gut, you might want to adjust it by a hair. And then to your point, like let's, let's resource against it accordingly to know if, if if we want to pour gasoline or not. So that's a great, great, great point. I like that intuition versus information. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah. And so I want to, Dan, I know, um, you know, our time here today is a little bit limited, but I wanted to jump into, I know you guys just announced that you're going to be doing the hype life with the hype house. Do you have any information on that yet? Like when that launches and I would love for the, for the, the good of your listeners to be able to divulge, um, you know, secrets, but I am, I am officially, (laughs) I am officially, I am officially, um, uh, unable to get into all the specifics. What I can tell you is we're in production. Uh, it's going to be a very awesome, interesting, exciting, you know, docu-series. It's going to take a really exclusive look uh, into the lives of the Hype House members and the whole sphere uh, that they operate in. Um, there is no doubt, again, when you think about TikTok, Gen Z, and all that's been born out of it, like there is a lot of interesting um, individuals, cre- highly creative business, business, business. I, I merged Disney and business into a word. <laughs> now, business savvy folks um, in those houses. And I think the, the show that we're going to put out is going to delight people in, a, in an entirely different way. Um, but, but as soon as we do uh, have more specifics, I will make sure that you get the information for sure. All right, great. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. We're going to put all of your information for both yourself and Wheelhouse as links in the show notes. Um, but I just want to thank you for your time. I feel like I was speaking with uh, uh, my fellow spirit animal on this pod. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get this podcast. And follow us on social media for top marketing tips from our guests.